Welcome to Vossa, celebrating Pacific and Papua New Guinean voices and discussing our future. Vossa is a storytelling project driven by experts and creatives in the region with support from the World Bank in the Pacific and Papua New Guinea. Bulavinaka, my name is Arieta Rika and I am your host. Welcome to a special episode on the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in the Pacific region brought to you by two podcasts, Contain This from the Australian Government's Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security and VOSA, supported by the World Bank in the Pacific and Papua New Guinea. This is the first simulcast we've aired, whereby we're publishing the same episode across these two great programs. You can learn more about both Contain This and VOSA in the show notes. I'm Arieta Rika, the regular host of VOSA. As this episode is released, COVID-19 vaccines have begun arriving in Papua New Guinea with the support of the Australian government. Meanwhile, the Republic of the Marshall Islands has been administering COVID vaccines since last December with great success. In this episode, we look at what the vaccine means for our guests. This is a series of three conversations I had with Will Guinea, Dr. Edith Carrico, and Francine Wasser-Jacklick about the COVID-19 pandemic and the arrival of vaccines in PNG and RMI. Will Guinea is a Papua New Guinean-born Australian rugby union player and proud UNICEF ambassador. Dr. Edith Carrico is the World Bank's Senior Health Specialist in PNG, and Francine Wasser-Jacklick is Deputy Secretary, Office of Health Planning, Policy Preparedness and Epidemiology in the Ministry of Health and Human Services in the Republic of the Marshall Islands. As always, I hope you enjoy this episode. Will, thanks for speaking with me today. Can you tell me a little bit about you and um, and your role as an ambassador with UNICEF? Yeah, so I, I've been playing rugby for the last 16 years now, and I was fortunate enough to play for 10 years in Australia. Then I played for two years, uh, three years in Paris, uh, in, in France, and then another two years in Melbourne on the back of obviously the first 10 years stint. And I'm now in Japan. Uh, Rugby's given the opportunity to come live here and travel here, and um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And as far as, uh, I guess, my role with UNICEF, it's certainly something that I see myself being involved in long-term is giving back to my country and helping the people at back home in Papua New Guinea. And I'm very grateful that I'm a part of the team now moving forward. Do you think positive health messaging has taken on like a new importance recently in Papua New Guinea and elsewhere? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's massively important. I think just because there's a lot of misinformation out there, you know, there's a the way the world works now with social media, like a lot of the times people, especially the younger generation, get their information from social media. And I think as you know, and as a lot of people know, you can put anything on social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, and people take it as, as gospel. So um, I think the messaging, particularly around the times that we live in now, is so important to get out the right information, the science, the details, and, and coming from the people who, who know all that information. Moving towards Papua New Guinea now, Will, can you tell me, how has your own family been affected by COVID-19? So my family live in Port Moresby. Um, my mum, my dad, my, my older brother, his wife and his three kids all still live back there. And, you know, we, we all go back there every twice, three times a year for Christmas or just, just to spend time together. So it's very much home. You know, Port Moresby is very much home. And my brother actually um, tested positive for COVID. So, and uh, my mum had... Um, uh, close contact tracing with someone who tested positive in the bank as well. So they're in an isolation period at the moment for two weeks, which is pretty scary, uh, especially for my mum. My she's My mum, she's stressing a little bit, but um, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing well and they're, uh, they're back home. 
Of course, Will, our thoughts are with your family and the rest of your community at this time. And with that in mind, can you tell me, what does a COVID-19 vaccine mean for you and your community? Honestly, I think it's huge. I think the way that um, we are as people in Papua New Guinea, we're, we're pretty pretty laid-back people. We always tend to think it's going to be okay, don't worry about it, we'll, we'll be fine, we'll get through it. But you've seen on a global scale, and obviously now with everything escalating in Papua New Guinea, that you know it's not. I think it's we have to take this seriously and sort of this dispel the, the misinformation and misunderstanding around the vaccine because I know from having spoken to a lot of people, again, it comes back to that laid-back mentality where we'll be okay, it's just like the cold. But if you look at the hard facts, the science and the, the information behind it, you know, it's obviously something that's affected so many people's lives, whether it's through the tragedy of death or just people uh, being being ill. Um, so I, I think it's so important the vaccine that, that people take the vaccine seriously. Uh, but I think the the more important thing is just the information around it. And I think it's something that UNICEF has been doing really well. They've got people on the ground to whether it's through fact sheets or speaking to people and speaking to communities around. Again, going back to the science and the actual information around it uh, to make people understand that, look, this you, you need to take this for your health. Uh, but I think also the the other thing I've come across is you tend to, there's, there's kind of two realities to it. You've got the reality of people who say, we'll be okay, it's just a cold. But then you've also got the reality of the fact that this is just the way the world works now. In a, and in a practical sense, moving forward, um, you, you look at people's jobs, it's affected. You, you, you have to work from home or you can't, put yourself out in social environments or social settings, you can't travel. So it's about merge realities to, pe- to make people understand, all right, you, you can have your beliefs, but you have to understand there's science behind it. And if you want to be a part of the way the world functions and moves forward now, the vaccine is so important. And, and the hard part about, obviously, Papua New Guinea is that it's not like countries like Australia, New Zealand, or you know other, um, other bigger countries in the world where you can put in place restrictions, you can put in place protocols around oh, you can't do this you can't do that because of the nature of the fact that it's a third world country and a lot of the way that they live is around communal living it's hard to put those things in place uh, because we just don't have the resources and the infrastructure so i think it's people have to take it upon themselves to take it seriously and listen to the to the information listen to the science and listen to what the government and what the people in power are telling them uh, in order to you know help help curb the uh, the spread Okay, so how do you think we can support the spread of accurate information on a COVID-19 vaccine and in particular combat some of the misinformation and conspiracy theories that are spreading? Honestly, I think like having been back there recently, a lot of a lot of the younger generation spent a lot of time on social media and on their phones, you know. When I was a kid back there, I didn't even know what a phone was, a mobile phone was. But nowadays everybody has one, everybody's on social media, everybody's on Facebook, and I think if we can take an active step on social media to make sure we're publishing the right information, the right science behind things so that, that, that these young, the younger generation reads it but then spreads it, whether it's to their parents, their grandparents, um, their kids, nieces, nephews, whatever it might be. And I think like what UNICEF is doing is just being on the ground, speaking to the communities, whether it's through fact sheets or just presenting the information, um, again, as you said, to dispel that misinformation around the vaccine. Papua New Guinea is such a diverse country with over 800 language groups. It's, a, it's incredible. And so do you think it's even possible to create health messaging that works for everyone? Honestly, it's a very difficult thing to do because, as you said, with the, with the language barrier around how many languages we do have in the country. But I did see that in the, the NCDC, the governor of the National Capital District, there's a slogan that he put out saying, Harim Tok, 
which means listen. And it's, it's kind of a saying where you say, hide and talk. Like if my parents said, hey, you hide and talk, like it's a stern thing of saying, listen. And it's just, it's just a messaging around listening to what they're saying as far as, again, like the procedures and protocols that they're putting in place. And while there are all these different languages, Pidgin is essentially the national language where everybody listens to. It, again, it's, it's a hard one because it has, the individual has to take it upon themselves to, uh, to really take it seriously. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, the people in power can only do so much because, as I said, the nature of the country with communal living and um, the, the lack of uh, resources in order to put in place all the, the right infrastructure, it's quite hard um, unless the individuals do take it seriously. And now, Will, in terms of looking to the future, what's your hope for the Pacific as vaccines do begin to roll out across the region? Well, I think all we can hope for is that you go back to some sense of normality. I mean, there's a, there's a strong link between um, obviously Australia and Papua New Guinea, and I feel that in the sense that I want things to go back to normal so I can go, right? I want things back to normal so I can go visit my family, see my, my, my relatives, my country. And it's simple things like that that you, you, you tell people. You know, at the moment, we may not feel a whole bunch of restrictions because, again, like we're pretty isolated in terms of being a third world country. But if you look around globally, so many people um, have, have lives have been affected in terms of their livelihood, travel, all these sorts of things. And um, it's about making people realise if we don't take this seriously, we those things will affect us as much as it has affected everybody else. And then I guess just push pushing that message. I think for people just need to, to have an open mind and listen. To, to what the information and what the science is telling you because I certainly was someone who thought everything's going to be all right. I think, you know, it's just like the flu, it's just like the cold. But then when you actually read the information and you see how, how tragically it's affected so many people's lives, it's, it's incumbent upon us as people to actually take this seriously and um, gain a better understanding of it. Uh, because if it affects us because of the nature of the disease and the, the virus being so contagious, it's going to affect all those around us. And if you could take back any home messages or final reflections for those back at home in Papua New Guinea, Will, what would you say? My thing is to just have an open mind, listen to the information, listen to people's experiences and stories um, and make your decision based on that. And for me, more often than not, if you do that and have that open mind, you'll see that the you, especially in terms of us returning to some sense of normality and, and going back to life as it, uh, as it was, you know. I think it goes without saying that you're looking forward to receiving the vaccine. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited because I want to go home and see my family. You know, I'm, I'm in Japan and even, even being here in Japan, like I, we've had breaks where we've had two or three weeks off and my, my wife and daughter are in Australia. I've not been able to go back because, because of the travel, because... Um, of the of the virus and there's no because there's a, we don't have the vaccine yet which will allow us to travel so yeah I, th- I think people need to be um open to it and personally I, I i can't i can't wait for it and hopefully because of it i can travel see my family and go back home to Papua New Guinea. thank you will it's been really great speaking with you today i really appreciate your time thank you so much that was will guinea Papua new guinean born australian rugby union player and proud unicef ambassador now you'll hear from Dr. Edith Kariko, the World Bank's Senior Health Specialist in Papua New Guinea. Edith, thanks for speaking with me. How do you feel about the arrival of COVID-19 vaccines in Papua New Guinea? 
I think for me personally, and you know, as a public health specialist, it's it's exciting to get response so quickly um, in this time of surge for Port Mosby and Papua New Guinea as a whole. So uh, there are concerns that we won't be able to, um, um, particularly for our system to cater for de- deployment um, of vaccines. Papua New Guinea, of course, has child vaccination programs, and this is going to be the first adult, uh, you know, vaccination program. So with it comes its challenges. I mean, we remain forever grateful for the response that we're getting from DFAT, as always for for Papua New Guinea um, in terms of responding in our time of need. Um, Yes, so the deployment aspect of it is, of course, concerning on my part. So... This will be the first time a nationwide adult vaccine has been rolled out through Papua New Guinea? Yes, and, you know, we have adult vaccines, but these are just one office, you know, a patient uh, presents to clinics, uh, not in a mass uh, kind of vaccination program such as this. So it would be interesting, and, you know, with with child immunization programs, we've always had, had that going on for decades, so... In terms of, you know, the information that goes out with having those vaccines acceptable within our communities, it hasn't been really an issue or a problem because, I mean, I got vaccinated. My mom, of course, took me there. My children got vaccinated. So it's already within how our, our way of life. But having to have now these vaccinations coming and having adults to respond to them um, is, of course, interesting. Of course, there are some concerns about the vaccine due to the misinformation and conspiracy theories that are spreading in Papua New Guinea. How do we combat that misinformation? I think stating the facts and as a public health specialist, um, you know, scientific backing, ensuring that whatever is brought out scientifically must be um, interpreted for layman um, consumption. I think that's really crucial. When you have laymen circulating scientific reports, it it's very scary for me because, you know, of course, with scientific reports, we have pros and cons and there's a scientific argument about acceptance of whatever scientific uh, innovation is coming on board. But with from a layman perspective, and particularly in Papua New Guinea, this can be very, very um, challenging in how um, information is shared and distributed here. Yeah. Our other guests on this episode, Will Jr., spoke about the huge cultural diversity in Papua New Guinea. And Edith, how do you communicate vaccine information to communities in remote or isolated parts of the country? It's going to be really challenging, to be quite honest. You know, I've worked in the family planning space and I've worked with the family planning commodities in remote rural areas and just having to get that out to remote rural women in what it, how it um, is supposed to help you is very challenging. And Will is right in saying, you know, we all know the diversity in our language and communication, particularly health communication in this instance is, is challenging when that level of diversity exists and not just the diversity, but I I would say the level of, um, you know, the culturally how we receive information needs to be really strategized well. Um, You know, in the Highlands, they they don't usually say things as it is. They call it in talk, 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 tal
parables, but and then in the calls, there's a different way of sending messages. So, I, I mean, whoever's responsible for communication strategies that um, targeted at rural remote areas need to hugely consider the cultural appropriateness of these messages. That's really insightful. Edith, turning to the future, what are your hopes for Papua New Guinea as vaccines begin to roll out? I think first and foremost, you know, we are approaching it the right way, having to try to prioritise who gets the vaccine first. And it's, of course, the people who are helping the rest of the population, and that's health workers and essential frontline um, workers. The effectiveness of the vaccine for Papua New Guinea it's not known yet. We know the efficacy as it's suggested within the literature and scientific evidence that has come from the vaccine we're receiving, but the effectiveness is yet to be um, yet to be known. And it's only after that we can see how it can affect us in the future, whether this becomes a routine program for Papua New Guineans, how long does the vaccine work in Papua New Guineans, whether it's every six months or every five years. I mean, these are things that have to be established. And I think the rest of the world is also working individually in their countries trying to establish that for their population. Edith, are you looking forward to receiving the vaccine? Of course. Um, as, as a public health specialist, I find it my duty of care to join the rest of health prof- professionals around the world in trying to ensure that whatever we're finding to address this pandemic is supported, not just as organisations, but as individuals too. Of course, with every new thing comes that level of nervousness. Question: You question what, 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 what it really is, and particularly to ensure that no harm is done to you. And I'm sure this vaccine has been looked at by specialists who also creates the medicine that we drink um, to cure illnesses. So I'm sure all that um, safety measures have been put in. I would encourage everyone to think. Um, think about protecting not just themselves, but their families as well when they make these decisions. Um, we have no no answer at the moment. Vaccine provides us that opportunity to at least live with this virus for the meantime. So I think, you know, we should look at it open-mindedness and not just think of ourselves, but think of our families and the communities as a whole when we make those decisions. That was Edith Kariko, World Bank Senior Health Specialist in Papua New Guinea. Now you'll hear from Francine Wasejaklik, Deputy Secretary, Office of Health Planning, Policy Preparedness and Epidemiology in the Ministry of Health and Human Services in the Republic of the Marshall Islands. Francine, it's so great to be speaking with you. How would you describe the Republic of the Marshall Islands' experience of COVID-19 so far? Um, it's been um, peaceful. <laughs> I guess that's the one word I can use at this time. We've been able to live freely, do things as normal. I'm still hugging my family. I'm still hugging my friends. So it's great to have that freedom and peace of mind. And we, we the word we use in, in our language, we say Ainaman, which means we are at peace, so in peace time. So it's good to have that. Yeah, that's really nice. And and I know RMI has had a very strict repatriation program and the only cases of COVID-19 have been in quarantine. So no community transmission, right? 
We had uh, border cases uh, since we started our repatriation program. Um, this started in December, but since then, since then, uh, through our very strict uh, repatriation protocol, we have not been able. Uh, we have been able to uh, keep the COVID transmission from the community and into the country. So we haven't had any cases since then. You know, managing that process of repatriation must have been really, really challenging. The success of it in avoiding any community transmission, I mean, it's really amazing. It's a lot of work, but um, the work is very important to ensure that COVID does not go into our country. Um, we do have a, I'm not sure if I've shared with you, but we do have a two-phase quarantine process, which a lot of work is put into it. Uh we have a, the first phase is uh, the repat. Uh, folks have to go through a 14-day quarantine process in stage, staged in um, Honolulu. And after that, once everything is clear, then they, the next phase is going into the Kwajalein um, U.S. Garrison a military base here in RMI. They also go into another additional 14-day quarantine. Wow, so a month-long quarantine process. Um, moving on to the vaccine now. RMI has had the COVID-19 vaccine for a few months. Francine, can you tell us what has that been like? Well, the vaccine is here since December. So I'm, we're very happy that it's here. And it, we've been one of the few, uh, few fortunate countries here in the Pacific Islands to be able to get it firsthand and and be able to get it at any given time, um, at any, any, cause we're doing house to house. Um, where the strategy for the rollout is a house to house, uh, uh, mobilization of the vaccine. So vaccine straight at your door. Um, so that's how we've been able to achieve a great, uh, completion rate with our COVID vaccine rollout here in the community. Mm, it's, it's really incredible to hear people are getting the vaccine in their homes. Has there been any resistance to it so far? So far, we have not uh, had any uh, resistance to getting it. At first, you know, there was uncertainties of what it what it has and what it may be. But through um, continuous risk communications and information going out to the public, uh, continuous press releases and uh, text messages, you know, using every outlet that we can do and have to share information of the vaccine through our pu- public health officials, I think it's been, we've been able to achieve a great acceptance acceptance rate of, of the vaccine uh, here in RMI. So I think a lot a lot has to do with leadership, not just from the government, but also community leaders, and as well as the frontline workers. And a lot of a lot of work has been done tremendously by our public health nurses. You know, they're the ones going house to house, explaining the vaccine, explaining this, you know, what the side effects are, what to expect. Uh, a lot of work has gone into it. Okay, so did you always intend to vaccinate people in their homes? Initially, what we had done was we established, uh, we had initially established points of dispensaries in the communities, meaning that, you know, we've set up a vaccine site and your 
anybody above 18 years of age are welcome to receive the vaccine at these points of dispensaries. While we were, you know, assessing the rollout plan, we noticed that we weren't getting enough people. So we had to switch the game plan and given previous public health uh, programs and projects we've had, we thought of using the same model as we've done previously of house to house uh, campaigns with immunizations, even with TB mass screening. Using those best practices we've had, we thought maybe, hey, you know, let's try, let's try and change the strategy from past experiences. And, you know, lo and behold, um, we got the same great success rate as we've had previously in other projects. Mm, so did you find that people were very grateful that the RMI had access to the vaccine so much earlier than nearly every other country? They're very blessed, I can say this, but uh, there were some um, that did not know that other countries had not received it or there were conditions uh, given to the vaccine. And like for the U.S., you know, you had to be there was certain age requirements uh, provided to in order for someone to get vaccinated. Uh, here in RMI, as, as long as you're 18 and above, you're qualified, whether you're Marshallese, non-Marshallese, um, uh, you're eligible to get the vaccine. So I think everyone has been, uh, everything has been coming to RMI and such a blessing to, to many of us, including mm. myself. And so speaking of yourself, what was it like to get the vaccine and like, were there any side effects? It was just my arm. It was kind of heavy. But other than that, um, it was it, it was good. <laughs> it was, I didn't really have any side effects, um, just mild fever, but just like getting a normal um, uh, flu shot. That's the way that's that's the way I, I, I preach to my team, you know, because there's, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of hesitance or vaccine hesitancy to towards the COVID vaccine because it's new, it's foreign to many, but, you know, as, as many as those that are, are very known to COVID, they, they know that this is very similar to the flu. So I use that to my own, to my own mentality and to my own <laughs> when getting it because at first I was not one of the first few that got it and then I keep telling myself it's just a f flu shot so that's the way I, I conceptualize it. <laughs> How incredible for you to be one of the first people in your country to get it. Looking to the future now, Francine what does a COVID free future mean for you? Well my hope is that RMI can be an example um, of show, sharing what works in our country. We can be a model of our public health interventions and we can share with others uh, what works in our country and maybe they can adapt to what uh, we do here. Um, and my hope is that uh, others can see what we're doing and um, uh, we, can, we can be of help in any way, shape or form. My hope is that us along with the other Pacific Island brothers and sisters can we, if we set the precedence of having COVID free and 100% uh, uh, COVID vaccine Pacific Island, we can become COVID free 
Pacific, and therefore others can see what the big ocean <laughs> blue countries uh, can become a great prime example of what uh, what we can do do to protect the entire uh, everyone of this very very unfortunate um, uh, disease that has brought to and has changed many of our lives and my hope is that by doing so we may have the ability to not only have a herd immunity RMI but a herd immunity Pacific and so on and so forth then perhaps maybe we can go back to our normal uh, social lives you know borders can open up I can see my in-laws, my families overseas. My son can go to any colleges he wishes to without having any fear of what's happening in the U.S. Um, and I do also hope that um, while we're doing all of this work together, there's an opportunity for the Pacific Island countries to look at the health security plans that we have in plan and maybe update during this time of peace uh, during this time that, you know, it's not so chaotic, at, at least for here in the RMI, that we can look into these policies and make uh, improvements accordingly. Um, for RMI, it's an opportunity for us to um, go out to the rural rural health and outer island uh, to visit those vulnerable populations and provide services where we can during this time that we don't have any um, external obligations such as sometimes we have to go to uh, meetings externally, but more is much uh, an opportunity for us to really go out in, uh, in the outer islands and provide uh, so much services that uh, sometimes it's of, uh, we don't really have the time, but now it's like we have the time now. Francine, that's a beautiful vision for the Republic of the Marshall Islands. We really appreciate your time today. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Will Gania, Edith Carrico, and Francine Wasejaklik. You can hear more of our podcasts via the link in the bio. I'd also like to take this opportunity to encourage all of you who are listening to talk to health professionals that you trust about the vaccine. It's important to get your information on COVID-19 and the vaccine from reliable sources like your GP and the World Health Organization. For our listeners in PNG, we hope you're staying safe and well. We have included a link in the show notes to information from the WHO organization in PNG, as well as the PNG government's Nupella Passing Guidelines. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>